If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. I am here in a very stormy St. Louis, so you guys may hear the thunder and lightning in my background. Hopefully, it'll die down and um, all will be good. If this is your first time tuning into the show, welcome. Welcome to another episode of Insecurity for All. We have another great guest today. We've also had some really awesome guests. So if you have not listened to the show and you'd like to tune in and catch some of our past show, you, past shows, you can find us on any place you listen to your podcast, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, um, any place that's your favorite place. I hope everyone's ready for the weekend. We're officially coming to the end of summer. Looks like schools have started this week. Everyone's finishing up their vacations. We're at the last week of August. 2021 is absolutely flying. Lots of stuff going on with event planners and conferences. I'm also the CEO of FutureCon Events, and we host cybersecurity conferences all over North America. And we have just launched into the hybrid world. Yesterday, we were actually in person in Ohio hosting a cybersecurity conference. We had about 250 people that were registered, and I hoped for a big turnout, but 80% of our attendees decided to stay virtual. Um, so with our sponsors and with our attendees, we had about 100 people on site combined, and it was absolutely wonderful. Speaking in front of people and not through my computer screen is just amazing. I can't even speak enough about that. Our events are definitely different now. They look different. They run different, just like everything else in our world Nowadays, it's just different. We have been pushed as a company to be more innovative with new technology that we bring to our events. Now, what we have done in the last two live shows, we're starting to get a hang of it by streaming our events and having a virtual audience and a live audience. It's interesting with this new variant on the rise, our team continues to question, do we pull back and stay virtual? Or do we merge forward and keep going on with these live events? Certainly, the easy way out would be to stay virtual. But after yesterday, seeing people laughing together and seeing people having conversations together and just seeing human-to-human interactions is just pressing us forward to keep going. It has to start somewhere. We can't just keep staying in our homes and hiding out. We are ready to be out there. So we just figure it has to start somewhere. So I would I would question you. If we came to your city, would you come to a live event? Are you just happy staying virtual? Either one, there's not a right way. There's not a wrong way. It's just really what you're comfortable with. But um, I've been in the cybersecurity industry for over two decades. I've met tons of people. And yesterday, I certainly made lots of new friends. And it was just nice to be back out there again and see people. So again, 
that's what we're missing, the connections of meeting new peers. My guest today, I did meet during a virtual event, a few of them. They've sponsored many of our shows. He's a pretty amazing person. I'm excited to have him here today. His name is DJ Sampath. He's the co-founder and CEO of Armor Blocks. Armor Blocks was founded in 2017. It's a cybersecurity startup headquartered in Sunnyvale, California, and backed by General Catalyst. Armor Blocks has built the world's first national language understanding platform, providing a new way to intelligently detect alert and protect against identity-related attacks and data loss. Enterprise Enterprises use Armor Blocks to automatically create and adapt policies, continuously measuring risk exposure and reducing alert fatigue. So welcome to the show, DJ. Thank you for having me, Kim. Really appreciate it. Uh, it looks like uh, the two of us are bringing the, the thunder to this, uh, to this uh, session today. I know, I know. And you're, you're in Sunnyvale, California. How is it sunny in California right now? It's beautiful and sunny. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no clouds. Very, very jealous. Very jealous. But you guys you guys have your own issues. I mean, just oh, above yeah. you with yeah. all these fires. How's everything going up there? I haven't watched that. I haven't I, when I turn on the news, we know what we're seeing on the news, so they haven't been talking about the fires. How's that going? We uh, you know, we had a, a you know, a team event that uh, that we were attending uh, I mean, the uh, the week before in in Tahoe. And um, it was rather unfortunate because, you know, we couldn't really, all of our events were to meet outside and catch up, but the smoke made it nearly impossible because of the fires. Um, you know, the AQI was north of 300. And um, so we ended up having to move indoors and, uh, and, and still keep the masks on and uh, due to COVID. So it was, uh, it was a little bit relentless, but uh, you know, I'd say today is probably one of the better days. You know, the smoke's not too bad. The, the skies are blue, and you can see the sun. So, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, you're you're spot on. We have our share of problems, but it's uh, it feels like it's getting better. Well, you know, I had a friend of mine that was in Portland, in the middle of Portland, you know, more up north, and he said it was just even almost up towards Seattle. The smoke is so bad. So. It's it's a very sad thing. I wish all those families well and safety for everyone out there. Um, so it's been really great. You know, we've done some of these. We've been doing a lot of virtual stuff. And we, we were talking about that pre-show that you just came back from some live events. And it was kind of interesting that your sentiments were exactly what I was talking about in my opening is that there's just nothing better than seeing human interaction. It's been missing for far too long. What's your thoughts on that? No, you're you're spot on. Absolutely right. You know, there's only so much that you can uh, you can do when you're uh, a tile on a on a on a Zoom box, right? Um, you know, don't get me wrong. Zoom's fantastic, and uh, it enables us to have amazing conversations, and so that's uh, you know, it's absolutely uh, you know terrific. But you know, when it comes to in-person human interactions, um, it's it's absolutely critical to sort of have that in-person, yeah, you know interaction because if you if you take a look at us you know as people we are so used to doing that you know we've been conditioned to do that for you know several several years several hundreds of years now and um and, and sort of trying to communicate you know a lot of the pieces about like you know your your facial expressions or your body language 
and, and being able to, you know, relate and laugh at, you know, things. It's, you know, psychologically, it has a very different response when you're doing it in person. And, uh, and when it comes to doing business, you know, uh, it, 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 it's such an important part about, you know, just, just getting to learn uh, more about people, about their families, about, you know, making that personal connection, which is not very easy to do when you're on a Zoom conversation, you're back-to-back Zoom calls, you know, from morning to evening. Um, you know, so, so it, it's definitely, you know, a lot more meaningful, uh, you know, interactions that happen when you do that in person. And, uh, and we're starting to, you know, slowly get out. It's, uh, it's interesting to see, and, and I know that there's a lot of confusion as people decide, you know, do I keep my mask on? Do I keep my mask, take my mask off? And, uh, and the, 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 you know, we're, we're trying to do the right thing by making sure everybody feels comfortable. And, uh, and as a vendor, our policy's always been, you know, make the people that you're working with as comfortable as possible uh, as you engage and interact with them. So, uh, so yeah, you know, we're big on trying to, you know, do in-person events and, and doing it, you know, as safely as possible. Absolutely agree. And one of the things that I noticed yesterday, because the night before when we were traveling to Columbus, it's a lot of work now because we have to set up equipment to stream. It's not, it's definitely different. And we have a Kansas City event coming up in a few weeks. And we were thinking, you know what, we're just going to go virtual on that one. This is just so hard. And then that next morning when you saw everyone coming in with smiles on their face and it was about 50-50, you know, we let people decide if you want to wear a mask, then you should wear a mask. We, we're not going to mandate anything. We're going to follow the CDC guidelines. So, um, but after speakers were done and just to see those tables and the people sitting together and laughing and and you don't get to do that on zim calls when you're on a break you know you just go in your kitchen and get a glass of water here people are you know chatting and and it was just so it, I, I immediately said nope we're going to go to kansas city we're going to move on we cannot stop the trend of doing live events so looking forward to having you guys at one of our live events soon here absolutely so, Absolutely. We'll be there. And I couldn't agree more. Yeah. You know, you've had such an amazing career and I love having guests on my show that are entrepreneurs and love hearing your story and how you founded Armor Blocks and what that journey was like. Can you tell us a little bit about that in your background? Sure. Yeah. No, uh, you're too kind. Kim. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, for that opportunity. And uh, it's been it's been uh, incredible, and I've been very fortunate to have had uh, a really great career. Um, I'm your classic cliched immigrant, right? I came to this country about 15 years ago, um, $800 in my pocket, dreams of conquering the world. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it's funny thing about immigrants. We like to talk about money in our pockets when we come here. I guess it just makes for uh, a nicer story, I guess. But um, we... Um, you know, I, I came here to do my PhD, uh, my doctoral degree in, uh, in computer engineering. I went to school at UC Santa Cruz, and um, and as I, you know, as I got you know entrenched into the program, one of the opportunities that emerged was uh, the ability to work for you know, DARPA and DOD, you know, the Department of Defense. It was uh, my my thesis was funded by these two organizations, and uh, and as a result of that. Uh, I got the opportunity to work, you know, out of Berkeley and then, you know, Media Labs at MIT and I uh, spent some time at uh, BB and Technologies, a defense contractor in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And uh, the experience of working on, you know, the projects, you know, uh, you know for, for these organizations gave me an amazing perspective of, um, you know, what it takes to work on you know, cutting edge technologies. And it's not every day everybody gets an opportunity like that. So 
I consider myself you know, incredibly blessed. And um, you know, right after that experience, I decided to transition back into the, uh, the into the industry, you know, from the academic world. And so I moved on to work uh, at Juniper Networks. I was embedded in the uh, the CTO's organization, responsible for um, you know, a lot of things related to security and as part of the security business unit. And um, worked on uh, the, you know the next generation firewall, anti-spam, URL filtering. Sort of my first experience cutting across the gamut of security capabilities by introducing machine learning across each one of those uh, pieces. And, uh, and that gave me an, an incredible perspective into what it takes to build security solutions you know, at scale. And, um, and doubled on and, and put a, a company together uh, in, a, in a security space, uh, in the container security space called Stackrocks. Yeah, I was the VP of engineering and uh, chief architect the dishwasher, mail collector, interior decorator, uh, pick a roll. And, uh, you know, the, the thing about startups is you end up having to wear several different hats. And, uh, and I did that at Stackrocks, which was a, you know, a Sequoia-backed company. And, uh, and it was an incredible experience, you know, uh, building a product, uh, you know, as you were sort of watching the market embrace containers. And, uh, and with that experience, I said, you know, when, uh, when, I, was, when I was starting to spend time uh, talking to some of the campaign managers, uh, both at, at the DNC and the RNC, um, at an event at the Belper Center in Harvard, they were talking about how email security was central to our elections in 2016, and, um, and, and a lot more work needed to be done to, to make that better. That really got me intrigued, and I said, hey, let's go understand you know, what's truly going on over here and uh, when I connected with my, my friends at the FBI who were responsible for some of the cyber work that they were doing, and they, they raised you know, business email compromise or BEC as sort of being one of the top issues that are still very prevalent you know, in spite of all things that has happened with, you know, with, you know, within email security as a field. And, um, and so you know, that, that got me interested because it was a hard problem to solve. It wasn't an easy problem to go after and um, and it hadn't been solved very effectively. And I said, okay, let's go, let's go try and solve this, and put a small team together. And uh, very quickly, that that small team is now you know getting close to about a hundred people. We raised close to around fifty million dollars, and uh, we're tilting at the windmills. Yeah, that's what's uh, that's a little bit about uh, Armor Blocks and my journey so far. Wow, that's that's awesome. And I I like when you say when you're in a startup, you know, you kind of do everything. The nice thing about that is you end up knowing everyone's job because you had to start, I imagine, doing everyone's job. So uh, absolutely, yeah. You know, I was the uh, I, you know one of the uh, one of the fun things that I learned um, uh, when uh, doing this was um, a lot of times engineers get so busy about you know their uh, you know what they do and uh, you know when they're coding when they're engaged in doing what they're doing. Uh, we would go out and, uh, and, and and get snacks for them, right? I, I was the guy that would you know. You know we, we didn't use Instacart. We would just drive over to Costco, pick up some food, you know, supplies, come back in and stock the, uh, the, the kitchenette that was there inside of our tiny office. Um, one of the, uh, the things that I'd learned from, uh, you know, uh, with people that I've worked before was um, engineers don't have the habit of, you know, eating healthy. And, uh, <laughs> they, they like their chips. They like their popcorns. But, uh, but, but, you know, in the interest of making sure that my team was healthy, I used to get a lot of, you know, um, uh, uh, fruits and, uh, you know, and I would bring them to the office. And uh, interestingly, no one would actually go for, uh, you know, uh, an apple or a banana. It would just stay right there. Um, 
then, you know, I discovered, you know, and, and this is something that I'd done in my previous company, uh, you know, my, uh, my CEO of that company used to tell me, hey, you know, here's, you know, why don't you take those fruits and cut it up? I think uh, maybe that makes it easier. And he used to do that himself. And I, I took a, a page from his book and I said, you know what, I'm going to cut up the fruits and I'm going to put it on the desk and see what happens. And, uh, and instantly, you know, it was gone. All of the fruits were gone. So uh, I wasn't kidding around when I said uh, you, know, you just wear multiple hats. Uh, <laughs> well, all the way from grocery staffer to like to, to, to like sous chef. So. You know, that is true. You know, when my kids were little, if you have the fruit there, they don't eat it. But if you cut it up, and I have two little grandkids, and same thing with them, you know, if I cut it up, they'll eat it. So. <laughs> Nothing changes, you know. So was it right. when you when you started Armor Box, and I can relate to this a little bit because FutureCon was my second startup company, and I'll never forget the very for for both companies. I'll never forget the very first customer I had. So what was that feeling like when you finally landed your first customer? And you're like, okay, here we go. Oh, it was uh, it, it's a game changer, right? You know, when you when you get that first purchase order, the first check that comes in, it uh, it makes all the difference in the world. And uh, in our case, you know, we were we were actively engaged with our uh, our very first customer, and they were from the uh, you know from the state and local government. And uh, and, and as we uh, you know, it, it was a fascinating conversation sitting right across the room with the CIO. I was talking about how you know, um, you know email security is, is a big issue and a big concern. But at the same time, one of the things to keep in mind is a lot of times the state and local governments have um, very restrictive budgets. You know, they don't have you know the the same kind of um, you know budgets that the big enterprises have, and um, and so there was this concern around, hey, you know, this, I've got ten thousand employees to protect. This is going to cost me an arm and a leg, and uh, you know, the way we had thought about solving this problem was, you know, of course we have, you know, we are a business and we're a for-profit business and we got to do all of that right. But at the same time, we wanted to do uh, right by, you know, the people that we work with. And um, and that's sort of a, a core part of our mission and our values. And, uh, and so when we heard that, we said, listen, we will work with you and we'll find the budget. But, you know, if this is a problem that's, that's top of mind for you right now, we'll give you, a, we'll make a deal that, you know, don't worry about it. We want to be able to protect you know the city and the state that we're you know headquartered in, and uh, and that it was quite something when that first check came in. You know the team celebrated, and uh, and there was a sense of pride in terms of what we do. And uh, and since then we've gone on to have a lot of uh, you know sled customers come our way, and uh, and it has been uh, you know a, a, it was, it was a fantastic start. And it's been a fantastic journey so far. Well, that's amazing. Congratulations on that. But um, that kind of will put pivot us into our next question. Can you tell us a little bit about Armor Blocks and what your mission is and what you're doing, and and some examples of how you're stopping the threats out there? Absolutely, no, uh, uh, for sure. So the um, you know, you know the, the company you know we started this company you know about almost four years ago you know with very specific you know, sort of goals in mind. Uh, but the way it sort of came together was uh, a big moment of epiphany. You know, we were looking at what was happening in the um, in the landscape with respect to understanding and analyzing emails. Uh, the the big challenge was being able to recognize the context of communications. You know, um, we were were looking at the latest and the greatest with respect to natural language processing, and uh, and we observed that the, the there was a big inflection point that was just about to happen with respect to textual understanding. Um, let me give you a quick analogy, right? Uh, if you think about image processing, 
about five to seven years ago, image processing started to get commoditized, right? Almost, almost, it's now almost eight years ago. It's sort of what drove, um, you know, the progress towards a Tesla being able to self-drive. The, the image recognition became so commoditized that it's now on your iPhones that helps you recognize, you know, who it is that's opening the phone with face ID, right? A similar type of inflection point happened for textual understanding. Uh, when you take a look at the, the evolution of these algorithms, you know, uh, there's something called a reading comprehension test, you know. And uh, when you know, typically in our SATs or, or GRE exams, you know, what you do is you, you read a paragraph and, uh, and you answer a bunch of questions at the bottom that tell you how well you understood what was, what was being discussed or talked about. Um, a benchmark score, called the glue benchmark score, typically reports the, the, the ability of someone to answer those questions. And uh, an average college grad would score somewhere between an 85 or 86% on a scale of 100. And uh, algorithms were historically pretty bad at doing that. Machines would do as good as maybe 20, 30%. About four years ago, all of that changed, right? The, the, the landscape changed to the point where the machines could now start doing almost as good as an average college grad. That you, were, you would start seeing 70 to 80% right there. And uh, instead of armor blocks, we'd be able to develop and improve the technology to be able to do a lot better than that. Now, what does this mean for, for security? Well, when you apply armor blocks in, uh, in, in the technology that we've built in being able to understand the context, we were able to now start detecting targeted advanced attacks that are making their way into your mailboxes in spite of making the investments, the security investments that looks like a secure email gateway. And we saw that opportunity and we, we double clicked into that and we said, hey, let's, let's go and build uh, you know, the best textual understanding engine that's out there and use that to detect targeted vendor email compromises. Uh, you know, payroll fraud that shows up into people's mailboxes that says, hey, you know, can you please redirect my direct deposit to this new bank account? Or you know, even you know, very sophisticated phishing attacks because you know our algorithms go out and detect that the, these two senders, you know, have you know, you, or these two people have never talked to each other before. So at Armablocks, we take you know what's what's unique to Armablocks is that we take that output from that language engine, we combine that with you know thousands of other signals that we use to be able to build our machine learning models, and uh, and we combine them together to synthesize and detect you know, targeted attacks, and we're very quickly expanding to applying the same thing towards data loss and data leak prevention, where, you know, people might accidentally send emails out to the wrong recipient outside, or, you know, or, or malicious insiders start sending core intellectual property from inside of your uh, enterprise to, to, to folks outside, we're able to successfully detect that context, you know, reduce the false positives, and show high signal alerts to the security team. Wow, that's amazing. And I know that you guys have some um, great, you know, w when we have some of these virtual happy hours, we've had some of the uh, chief information security officers saying, we use Armor Blocks, we love it. And speaking of that, Jonathan Kimmett is out there. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Jonathan, He's the uh, CISO for the University of Tulsa. He's a big supporter of our, our events. Welcome to the show. And it looks like one of your folks and I might I might mess his name up, so I'll let you take that take that DJ and just. Not um, sure. Um, that's yeah. That's Abhishek. Uh, Abhi is just pointing out that the, uh, the 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 glue benchmark score that I talked about 
we've got a, a really nice uh, blog post on our website that talks about how Will Smith was wrong about the robots. Uh, it was, uh, it's a good reference and it's a fun read. If you get a chance, please take a look at that. Well, let's talk a little bit about what we're here to talk about today, detecting why detecting BEC attacks is such a hard problem. First, oh, first, because this show is called Ant Security for All, can you break down what a BEC attack is, and then we'll talk about why are they so difficult, um, why, why, they're, why these attacks yeah. are such a hard uh, problem to detect. Yeah. That, absolutely, for sure. Uh, so, so BEC or business email compromise is the name given to a specific you know, set of attacks where the attackers recognize the ability to sort of compromise well-established business workflows inside of the companies, inside of businesses, you know, irrespective of the size, whether you're a small two-person you know, uh, shop, a, a, a dentist shop at a strip mall, or you are a Fortune 10 company, they recognize that emails are being used as the true system of record uh, and are used to drive business workflows, whether it's approval of invoices or you know, um, ensuring that the payroll information is up to date uh, or you know, uh, being able to um, you know, process uh, different types of um, uh, you know, records inside of your enterprise. Each and every single one of these business workflows are, um, are targets of these types of attacks. So a typical business email compromise sends out an email, a socially engineered email that, that arrives in your inbox pretending to be um, a VIP inside of your company. Now, either the CEO or, a, or some of the C staff member saying, hey, um, can you please quickly update this? Or can you please do something uh, to respond to this request? And, uh, and as part of that, the attackers craft and, you know, when we talk about socially engineered emails, you know, they have some knowledge of how you, you do your business workflow. And so they exploit that part. They combine that with a sense of urgency and the deadline. And, uh, and there's a very specific ask. You know, they, they request that you do something for, uh, you know, for them as soon as possible. Now, the reason why these types of attacks are incredibly successful is because when you think about people, Right, people are fundamentally, you know, wired to help each other. Right, if somebody comes along and says, "Hey, excuse me, can you please pass me that pen?" You're more than likely to turn around, look for the pen, and if you do find a pen over there, you're going to pick it up and you're going to pass it along. It's sort of the it's sort of exploiting that quality, you know, uh, that that really results in a high success rate for the attackers. The the, the challenge that comes to that is. Being able to recognize what's real and what's not, it's incredibly hard because they're trying to mimic workflows and business workflows that are, you know, uh, part of your day-to-day -day things that you do. So if you increase, you know, uh, friction on the day-to-day -day work that you do, people are not going to like security. And Kim, you know this, you know, better than most people that, you know, security, uh, you know, sometimes can be seen as, you know, slowing things down. And uh, and a lot of CIOs have the challenge of being able to balance. Okay, I, you know, do I do I move fast, or you know, do I do I solve for you know uh, you know from a security perspective, do I solve and make it more secure? The the answer always ends up being somewhere in between. But um, but the attackers constantly exploit and push the boundaries in terms of how they could come in there and um, and, and and exploit those those, those business workflows. So that's really why you know uh, BECs are being so successful and uh, why it's top of mind for, for a lot of folks, because 
there are no phishing links. There are no payloads. There's no malicious attachments. It's uh, it's just you know emails that exploit your business workflow. So Jonathan Kimmick said attackers are exploiting people being nice and helpful to coworkers, which is exactly what you just said. Can you? Kind of break it down and give us a few examples of what you've seen and how easy it is to just believe that's a real email. No, for sure. Uh, and uh, and hey, Jonathan, nice to see you here. Um, and I'm a big fan of what Jonathan's done and uh, and the work that he's put into Tulsa. Uh, he is uh, he, he's awesome. I met him at one of your shows, Kim, and uh, and uh, and also I managed to catch up with him at uh, at a panel event, and uh, and he's just phenomenal. Um, and, and Jonathan is spot on, right? Um, uh, specific examples of these include, uh, I'll give you one that we saw about a few weeks ago at a, at a customer. Uh, there was an email that basically pretended to come from you know, somebody in the payroll department and, uh, and it was forwarded by them saying, hey, can you please take care of this? And what was there in the body of the email was someone requesting a change in the direct deposit. They said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm a new employee here inside of this company. Uh, I just wanted to make sure I, when I was onboarding, I put some information inside of the portal, but I'd like my, my next paycheck to go to this new bank account. Here's the bank account information. Now, you know, if you think about how you know, your coworkers are going to respond to this, they're, they're going to look at that and go, oh, somebody needs to make this change happen. Let me go you know, figure this out for them and, and, and up, update the payroll system to start sending the checks to that new bank account. Right? But it turns out, that email came from, you know, people are likely to, to believe it as well because, you know, they, they see an email being forwarded by an internal colleague, you know. The, the challenge with that is, you know, that email did not come from, you know, a, a newly joined colleague. It was somebody that was writing from their own personal account. It seemed like it came from a gmail.com account. And it was, uh, it was a nefarious actor that was trying to route, you know, uh, that the next set of paychecks to uh, you know his or her own personal bank account, and um, and obviously you know we were able to successfully catch that and uh, and report those bank account information to the government organization so that they can shut it down and trace it down to the original uh, you know people that uh, you know that 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 sent it out. So you know that's one example. There's another example uh, of a situation where attackers seamlessly inject themselves into conversations. Uh, because you know some accounts have been compromised inside of the enterprise, and uh, and they manage to know, and you know, they've set up mail forwarding rules where any email that contains you know specific keywords like invoice or you know receipts or you know order forms, they have you know sent a forwarding rule that sends those emails out to another mailbox outside that they monitor, and the attackers when they detect that you know a big contract is in flight insert themselves into the conversation by responding to an email thread and modifying where the emails originally coming from and reroute the the payment information just before the payments about to be approved again this is a situation where your coworkers are going to be looking at that going wait my job is to respond quickly to this email and make sure that you know my business you know, continues to work just fine and doesn't get interrupted by either not paying that invoice or, or not responding to it in a timely fashion. So um, I could keep going on, Kim, but these are you know, two instances of how um, you know, people exploit, you know, attackers exploit people being fundamentally nice and, and helpful in, in doing their jobs. So what's the solution? 
It's, uh, you know, yeah, the this is the part that sometimes gets to me, right? You know, a, a lot of times, um, you know, if people believe that, hey, if I do, you know, there's always a, a, a silver bullet in being able to solve this problem, right? And uh, the answer is there isn't a silver bullet out there, uh, very frankly. And uh, I'm saying this being a vendor, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, most people would come in and say, hey, use my product, product X or product Y. Uh, it, it's, it's obviously uh, something that's much broader, right? We have to look at this with the broader lens, you know, having been a practitioner and having worked with so many security practitioners themselves, the answer lies in a combination of combining some of the best of breed uh, to be able to recognize, um, you know, how to stop these types of attacks. So. The, the part that sometimes gets to me is, is how a lot of people believe that, hey, I need to have um, a, um, a checkbox item. I need to have a, uh, a phishing simulation test uh, to be able to evaluate how many of my uh, team members or how many of my coworkers are you know, responding or clicking on some of these phishing links and, uh, and use that to build a program, a security program around that. Um, you know, at this point, you know, studies have shown that the um, the, the efficacy of these you know, simulations or training attacks, they, they start fading away after the, the first couple of times that you run these simulation exercises. In fact, I was just talking to a CISO yesterday and, uh, and then she mentioned that uh, when, when she ran a campaign for a large you know, public organization, um, it actually had an adverse effect. You know, the, the simulations actually resulted in, in at least the correlations uh, indicated that you know people that attended some of these um, you know security training ended up uh, responding faster to uh, an attack that that pretended to come from a security team. So um, so you know phishing simulation exercises are not ideal because nobody likes you know uh, tricking somebody and saying haha look I got gotcha. you I sent you as a security team member I sent you this malicious email and you clicked on that link and so i'm going to sit down and make you watch a two-hour video so we believe in you know fundamentally a different you know philosophy we believe in using the technology to educate the users in context and in a timely fashion right so if you receive an email that looks suspicious at armablocks what we do is we put a warning banner that's right on top of that email that says hey here's why this email is suspicious Here's why, you know, you've never spoken to this person before. This person's never asked you for any of these types of information. And the reason why we're able to do that is we can look at the context of the email and use that to educate the users, you know, about a malicious, a possibly malicious email. Now, if an email is in fact malicious, we block them right out the gate. But these are for the ones where, you know, you're not absolutely positive whether it's going to fall on one side or the other. By doing this, you're you're basically changing a more foundational theme, which is you're starting to trust the people inside of your company to do their best thing or do the right thing, as opposed to, you know, um, training them to be suspicious, training them to be suspect of any good and normal behavior, and uh, and, and you know, the phishing simulations sometimes have that negative effect of people being suspicious of even regular emails. So, oh, you know, I don't know if I should respond to that email. And uh, and you've now fundamentally made a lot more people suspicious of everything that's on the internet. So um, we believe that if we do this right, we can educate them as opposed to, you know, changing them, you know, uh, you know for the worse. So 
So that's sort of uh, you know the part where we believe that ArmaBlox can come in here and uh, and and move the needle in a meaningful way and in a helpful way, as opposed to pointing fingers at somebody that accidentally clicked on the link. You know, it's hard too because you know I, I'm I hear this stuff every day. I'm in the industry, and I happen to have an email sitting in my inbox right now. It's been sitting there for about a week. I haven't erased it yet because I can't tell because it didn't it didn't get caught by anything, and I'll probably end up just erasing it. But but and I and I know better. But I'm curious. But it's probably a phishing attack, so I'll probably get rid of it. But how do you? You know, how do you go to the board of directors and you're trying to, you know, as a CISO or a CIO and you're trying to emphasize this problem and we need to fix it and they're they're just inundated with so many problems in cybersecurity. I feel like the board members that are non-tech, how do you communicate? Like what's your advice to break that down so they understand how important it is that, you know, clicking on one of these emails could you know, be a bomb that's going to about to blow up in their company. No, I think I, I think you're you're spot on. It's not an easy job, you know, for for a lot of these CISOs when they get get in front of the boards. And uh, and one of the things that is happening, though, however, is that the uh, the board members are starting to get more and more sensitized to to cybersecurity, you know, as as a as a risk to the business. Right? It is not it is not the approach about five or even you know maybe about five six years ago. Um, there was still the notion of, hey, you know, let's let's keep our eye on the top line revenues and let's keep pushing that harder. Uh, and, and and security was almost thought of as a as a branch of IT. But uh, I personally believe that that's changing. And uh, both from my personal experiences, you know, uh, being on boards of companies and and and, and seeing my board and interact with myself and uh, and hearing a lot from you know some of the other you know both private equity firms and uh, and and CISOs at, at big large multinationals. The, the team definitely is starting to get to a point where the board recognizes that they don't want to be on the on the in the cover of Wall Street Journal, you know, having to describe how their pipeline got attacked. Uh, they don't want to be, you know, having they, they recognize the business impact uh, a hack or, or or a phishing attack can result in, and uh, and especially if you are. You know, doing business with you know your your SaaS software provider, and you're doing business with you know millions of people across the globe. It becomes important for you to make sure that your security and privacy controls are appropriately in place. And uh, and the questions come up, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, from a from a board context, they they come and ask, hey, you know, um, Mr. CISO, yeah, are we okay? You know, how are we from a risk perspective? And uh, and it becomes important for you know, the the security team members to communicate the risks effectively to the board. You know, a lot of times it ends up being, hey, you know, everything is on fire is not a, a good situation, even though it might be the case. Um, you know, you gotta couch the the conversation in terms of the highest levels of risk that impact the business and being able to address those. And um, and and I think you know a, a lot of the CISOs have. You know this this vast amount of you know surface area that they have to protect in their businesses. It can get really challenging. The um, the, the the topic of email security comes up you know in these board conversations pretty often because emails are you know pretty much ubiquitous, right? The emails are pretty much the way the the CEO does business outside the walls of you know his or her organization, and um, and anything that impacts the day to day use of emails can be absolutely catastrophic. 
And so this, it becomes a topic, you know, more often than not, it's about, hey, how do these emails get through? You know, CFOs of organizations repeatedly keep forwarding emails to their CISO and their security team saying, hey, why did this make its way through? And, um, and it, it definitely bubbles up much faster than you know, uh, other kinds of security problems. And, um, and it's, it's, it's definitely a, a challenge in, in, in making sure that the right, you know, right part, right risk uh, you know, factors are properly uh, gotten across to the board members. And we have, is it Abhishek? Is that how you say it? Abhishek? I'm not sure. Abhishek. Um, okay, right. well, he, uh, he has provided several different links, which I find very interesting that I'm going to click on myself after the show um, with uh, just some blogs that you guys have on your website and some examples of some payroll, payroll fraud when uh, direct deposits go rogue, which that's a nightmare, obviously. And then, John, so I, I encourage everyone, this show does get viewed a lot um, after we play live. So I know that's going to be some great information for all the people that have not even listened to this show yet. So I encourage everyone to go click on those links. Jonathan Kimmett, again, thank you for being so involved in, um, in this show. He, he's such a great guy. We had our first live Dallas event, and he drove from Tulsa to come sit on the panel in Dallas. Awesome, awesome. guy. And so anyway, Jonathan says, as it relates to email filter rules and tools, have you seen any tactics where attackers hide text in the email to bypass the filters? Oh, that's a great one, Jonathan. I think uh, you're spot on. And uh, we've seen that attack time and again. Um, what the attackers do is, um, you know, uh, they, they end up, you know, uh, in, a, in a multiple different ways. Right? They, they use things called Punicode, which is basically using, you know, um, you know, if you remember, you know, alphabets with like specific, you know, um, uh, symbols on top of them. Uh, they, they leverage those to be able to, you know, uh, define lookalike characters. And so instead of an O, it's a Punicode uh, that looks like an O. Um, and so when you look at an email that comes from, uh, you know, a domain, they hide, um, you know, text inside of that domain where it looks like something else or, you know, sometimes they also use HTML embeddings where, you know, they, they turn the color of a text to white on a white background. And, uh, and so uh, there's, you know, there's, there are links that are hidden that way. When you read the email, it seems like it's a perfectly well-formed email. A lot of times these are um, password reset emails, right? They show up where it says, "Hey, here's a here's an email from from Box or from Dropbox or from O365, and please click here to reset this." And uh, and and then you end up clicking on that link, and it takes you to a page that looks exactly like you know your Office 365 password reset page. So um, we see these tactics, you know, time and again, where they hide text inside of the emails, and um, and the and, and and the way they you know the, the reason why they do this is because. You know, if you set up a rule-based system where you say, hey, anytime you see a specific email of this type, go ahead and block it. The challenge with that is by inserting these types of texts inside, hidden characters inside, it is going to escape those, you know, filters and those rules that have been set up, right? It is going to, you know, the, the rule is going to evaluate it and be like, wait, that's not the word that I'm looking for. And it's going to allow those emails to come back inside. And, uh, and so it becomes really, really important to do two things, right? One is to recognize that, that you know, you cannot write rules all the time. And, and then most of the times the rules are going to be written after you've seen something 
that has already been delivered to a lot of the mailboxes inside of the organization. The, the second part is, you know, being able to um, understand the context of the communication becomes even more important. Like, why is somebody sending me these emails? Have they sent this in a type of email before? Uh, have they talked about these types of topics before? Does this seem like something that um, that is, you know, uh, reasonable in terms of the communication patterns? And uh, and leveraging that, you know, you're able to effectively uh, reduce the the guesswork out of that, right? So the challenge, however, that comes along with that is you, you got to spend a lot of time understanding that context. You got to do a lot of you know shell scripting or partial scripting to be able to say if you're using an Office 365 to be able to go back in and review how often has this person you know sent us an email, introspect the graph APIs, figure that out, discover if some if that link is malicious. There's a lot of work that needs to happen from an instance response perspective that needs to be automated away, and that's part of what we do here at Armablocks is you know um, we we combine all of those pieces and that we're able to successfully um, you know automate away the amount of work that you'd have to do in detecting um, you know um, uh, text that is typically hidden inside of emails so what what is the difference between and this you know I'm not a technical person I'm just hosting a radio show but what um, is the difference when you have an email and you know it may go to your spam filter or how does it sometimes just end up in junk in office 365 instead of going to the spam filter oh yeah uh, I think the 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 a lot of times here's what happens right you know when you look at the the rules that it follows it's trying to determine uh, if something is a you know is a spam you know it, it, typically when it's spam it's you know it goes into uh, you know a folder that is pre-configured by your your IT admin or IT staff members. The um, one of the new prevailing problems and the reason why we end up going and checking uh, our junk folders is some legitimate emails end up finding their way into spam and junk, right? And uh, and it becomes really important for us to. Like distinguish between, hey, is this really a spam email or is this not a spam email? And we've had, you know, uh, quite a few of our customers uh, asking for what they like to call the uh, the de-spammer uh, capability. Now, um, the, the, typically the situations arise when, and I'll give you a very, uh, you know, a specific example. Uh, there was an instance where, um, you know, one of our, you know, many many customers. We've got fifty-six thousand customers on our platform. Uh, one of them um, actually had uh, a situation where they marked the uh, email from Zoom, uh, which sends out the Zoom invitations as spam, and uh, and because they had done that repeatedly, uh, you know, a few times over, the entire email system would automatically take any emails that come from Zoom and put that into uh, into the into the spam folder. Uh, which meant that anytime somebody sent an invitation, anytime somebody um, uh, reached out for a um, uh, you know a Zoom call or, or set set one up or moved it around, nobody would receive those notifications inside of the company. To be able to effectively understand what's relevant and what's not, the challenge is you got to build specific models for that organization, right? Um, when you look at larger corporations like Microsoft and Google, it's hard for them to build specific models. You know, for your, you know, for instance, in, in your case, you know, you know, to be able to say, hey, um, you know, um, for FutureCon, here's here's a model that's specific to your your team's behaviors, and uh, and because they don't do that, they're not able to get that distinction just right. At Armablocks, what we do is we build three different types of models. We build we have a global model, 
that uh, completely recognizes exactly what's happening, you know, uh, all the malicious actors, you know, that, that send those emails across all of the mailboxes and those 56,000 organizations. Uh, but we're also able to build a model specific to your organization, how your team members interact. And, and we also build models on a per user basis. How do each of the users behave? Because Kim, very frankly, like the way you send emails, I'm sure you know, others you know, in your organization send emails to different people very differently. You know, uh, an engineer inside of my company uh, prefers using Slack over emails and uses emails sparingly, right? So it becomes important to, um, to, to, to sort of build those models even at the user level. And when we do that, we're able to understand the context a lot better and recognize, you know, if something is in fact spam, or you know, if it, or if it if it's in fact a legitimate email that needs to be delivered into people's mailboxes. And I would imagine, like my emails, and for all of those out there that are my friends, colleagues, I will get to your email. Like I'm one of these people that I I just never can get my inbox. It, it's the amount of emails that come through on a daily basis. It's just I'll take the weekend and hopefully get it down to twenty only in there instead of two hundred. And by then, by the time I answer all those on Monday, they're all going to be they're all going to be rebuilt up. So I guess. So for someone like, and I'm not the only one, it's everyone out yeah. there. And then Absolutely. that's where the vulnerabilities come. That's where there's, you know, an email sitting in my inbox that it looks like this could be a really good speaker. I just haven't had the time yet to go see if it's a real speaker. I'll do the research, you know, before I would open, you know, his his bio because I get a lot of, you know, I, I get a lot of great speakers that reach out to me. But um, so I guess my 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 question or my comment is just is that's where we have to be so careful. You know, I've been on the road all week and today before the show, I'm just trying to clean my inbox out. And that's when you're going fast. That's when you slip and you make these mistakes of, um, you know, and then it, it's such work going through your spam filter. Cause I find so much important and for, you know, I find contracts and there's all kinds of things. So it's just, and I'm just a small business. So I can't imagine, you know, the large businesses, the challenges they're facing, and Ab Ab High Ab High, he also Abby, Abby, okay, Abby. Yeah. He said we've also seen some opposites where attackers overload the email at the end with garbage text or many different fake legal disclaimers to get around some spam controls or basic email filter controls. So again, I, I, we see this happen all the time. Do you have anything right. that you want to add on to that? No, I just want to add a small point to what you were just describing. And I think, uh, you know, we inside of Armablocks, we refer to this as, you know, when, when we speak of that, you know, human errors, right? Um, you know, it's sort of what you were referencing. You know, you're getting ready for your weekend. You know, you know everything's going to come back. You're going to try to strive for that inbox zero. But um, at the end of the, uh, the weekend, you know, Monday morning, your inbox is going to fill back up. Uh, we like to refer to that as, you know, uh, thinking fast and slow. You know, there are, there are two types of thinking that, that human brain, you know, normally falls into from a pattern perspective. Now, you've got the, the, the system two thinking and then the system one thinking, right? Now, uh, and again, I, I believe this was something that was coined in, the, in, in Daniel Kahneman's book, uh, which, which goes by the same name, Thinking Fast and Slow. And, um, you know, system two thinking is a mode where our brains are fundamentally slow, right? They're methodical, they're rational. And they always think before making or taking a decision. 
it's kind of like the first time when you drive a car, right? Um, you know, it's, you're, you're completely aware of what's really happening you know, around you in the very first time you drive the car. But then, you know, when you think about your, your system one thinking, um, it's basically, you know, uh, there's a fundamental problem here, right? System one thinking is a mode where our brains are fast, they're instinctive, and they take decisions without really thinking about, you know, what's in front of them. And, uh, and the analogy over here is that it's almost like when you're driving a car, uh, but you've driven the car for, you know, 10, 15 years, you're not thinking about every single aspect, you're just going, right? And, uh, and this is really, it's system one thinking is how we're thinking when we're looking at emails, especially in overcrowded inbox. And it's, we, it's and I hate to cut you off, but we're, we've got about two minutes until uh, we close. I'm so sorry, DJ, but I, no I, because I, I, we could go on for another hour and I'll definitely have you right. back on the show so we can talk more about that. But, um, I, I don't want to end on that. I just want to um, close because uh, we are on Voice America, so we don't have a choice but to end when we end. But is there any last-minute um, you know, message that you would like to li- leave our listeners, and we will tag what he was talking about um, on, on oh, our post? Absolutely. No, I, I, and I do appreciate it. Uh, you know, I can keep going on. So uh, the, uh, the part that I'd like to, you know, um, leave you know, our listeners and viewers with is uh, to go check out our website. We're at uh, www.armablocks.com, and uh, we just put out our live product tour um, over there that helps explain how we're thinking about the problem. And, and on top of it, you know, um, you know just the, the big takeaway for, for a lot of the security practitioners is to start moving away from blaming the users uh, I don't think you know it's helpful to blame the users at the end of the day. They're all trying to do you know their jobs in the best possible way, but but to to sort of find the ability to invest in 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 tools and automation that can we make lives seconds, easy DJ. for them. DJ yeah. Samad, CEO of Armorblocks, that I had to disconnect. So thank you, DJ, for joining us. We'll see you guys um, next Friday. Have a safe and secure weekend. Good night, or good afternoon. (laughs) Thank you for tuning into End Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureConHQ. 
Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host Seamless Podcast, started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Thanks again for listening to the